That's right, y'all. It's episode two of Cosmic Dragon, the podcast that focuses on debut science fiction and fantasy authors. I'm Sean Grigsby, and welcome. Thanks if you're joining us again, and thanks if this is your first time. Be sure to check out the previous episode and all those to follow. I'm very excited because this episode, I got to talk to an old friend, Tracy Townsend, who I've known since 2013, where we met on Twitter because we both entered a contest known as Pitch Wars. It's basically like the voice for authors. You enter your manuscript uh, with a query and pitch, and if you get in, you're selected by a coach who is at least an agented author who will help you go through your manuscript, edit it, and when you're all done, after three months or so, all of the entries get posted online to where agents and editors can come take a look at who got in and what they have to offer. And many people have found their agent or their publisher through such a contest. This was the first time that I'd entered this particular contest. I didn't get in until my third try. But uh, Tracy entered her manuscript, The Nine which I helped uh, give my two cents on critiquing her pitch for the contest. Lo and behold, four years later, her book is coming out November 14th. Talk about perseverance. Of course, you're going to hear all about this and much, much more in this interview. And welcome to episode two of Cosmic Dragon. And we are joined today by Tracy Townsend. Uh, she is debuting with her book, The Nine. Uh, Tracy holds a master's degree in writing and rhetoric from DePaul University, and she has a bachelor's degree in creative writing from DePaul University. Yes, those are two different uh, educational institutions, uh, even though they sound very, very similar. She also is the chair of English department at the Illinois Mathematics and Science Academy, which is an elite public boarding school where she teaches creative writing and science fiction and fantasy literature. Tracy, yeah. okay. welcome to Cosmic Dragon. Thanks so much for having me. We, I've known you for a while it, online. Yeah, I want to say that the first time we ran across each other was uh, 2013 with Pitch Wars, wasn't it? Pitch Wars, 2013, that's right. And, and you were... Uh, you entered with this very book we're going to be discussing today. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, it did not get any um, asks for more pages or, or anything. So it's the kind of story that, you know, when the contest come out on Twitter, um, people who have been experiencing them before are always telling people not to be frustrated if they don't get picked up and when everybody's path is different and all of that. And that's definitely totally true for me. Yeah, I mean, like when I, I was just looking at different... Uh, books that were coming out uh, at the end of this year, and then I ran across the name Tracy Towns, and I said, that that name sounds very familiar to me. I wonder if it's the same Tracy Townsend that I've been friends with on Twitter for a while, and, and then I saw it was The Nine. I said, The Nine? I remember critiquing that uh, query that you had. That's nuts. I mean, this this book has has gone through a lot, and it's finally going to be published... Uh, by Pyre Books on November 14th? Yeah, one of the fun things you learn when 
reality that Sam was publishing is that apparently his new books drop on Tuesdays. So, yep. Awesome. Well, you got to be excited about that. So why, why don't you tell us, you know, just as far as your journey up until this point, uh, I mean, first of all, have, had you written any books prior to the nine? Um, this is the, the sort of thing. I remember when my agent, Bridget Smith, called me to um, kind of feel me out a little bit and, and then ultimately offer representation. Uh, she asked that very same question, you know, do I have other manuscripts or anything? And, and I said, no. Um, I... I literally wrote the nine as a result of a dare, um, which is the sort of thing that I say it out loud, uh, knowing that this podcast is going to be shared with the world. Um, feels especially weird and humbling. Um, but the backstory on that is some of the ideas that went into making the novel I had been kicking around uh, all the way back to like 2009. Um, no coincidence in the title of the date there, but. Um, Anyway, the, um, I, I, I had been playing with some of the ideas, and I had kept sort of like writing snatches of things, not having the least idea of what I was doing, and sort of meeting these characters in little short you know, flashbacks that I would write, and then tabling stuff, and never really doing anything with it, because uh, it was too easy for me to get sucked up in things like, uh, you know, I'm a parent, and I work a full-time job, and those things that happen. Um, so in 2012, a colleague of mine uh, teaching here at IMSA, Adam Kalarczyk, kind of challenged the rest of the members of the English department to step up with him and try doing uh, NaNoWriMo with our students, but specifically to do the NaNoWriMo Young Writers Program version. Because we were a residential school, so students are always looking for ways to get more involved with faculty. He wanted to do NaNoWriMo with the kids. And uh, everybody, he looked at me, and everybody kind of looked at me, because I taught creative writing here for a really long time. And uh, it became pretty obvious that everyone sort of expected me to step up and do it. And, and I said, sure, fine. And as it turned out, I, I won NaNo that year, kind of running with this idea that I had had in bits and pieces going all the way back to 2009. Um, all I knew by the time we got to December was that I really liked what I had been doing. It wasn't by any means complete, but I knew I wanted to see it to its conclusion. So from about like January to uh, April or so of, of 2013, I was completing the manuscript, um, worked with a bunch of beta readers and folks over the summer to try and polish it up and make it great, and then, you know, went on stuff with it to uh, in, in the late summer in 2013, so it was like less than a year from I wasn't doing anything to I was suddenly submitting the book around. Um, and as you know, Sean, you learn an awful lot real fast um, when those first projections start coming back and then you start using the internet uh, to meet writers through things like uh, Agent Query Connect and Twitter and other sorts of stuff. Um, you start finding people and critique partners and swapping your work, and that was hugely important for me. Um, I met a number of other writers who are now themselves agented or published or in various places and kind of the, the strain of things who became my critique partners and we swapped work around. Um, and they were really formative for me kind of stepping back on that draft a little bit and doing some more work on it. As it happened, uh, Bridget Smith, who ultimately signed the nine and me, um, she's with Dunham Literary, and she participated in a contest called Nightmare on Query Street. And the nine was chosen to be part of that. Uh, she chose the, she wanted the first 50 pages of it read it and um, ended up asking for the full and 
A bunch of other things happened. While all that was happening, I ended up with a revised and resubmit from a completely different agent. Um, when I let her know that the revised and resubmit was happening, uh, she was interested in the notes I shared with her about what it was going to look like and said, you know, can you, can you share that manuscript with me as well? And so I did. And so ultimately, um, about a, almost a year after she had gotten the first 50 pages, Bridget ended up finding me on a revise and resubmit, which had originally been written with a different agent in mind, and then began the long process of bumping it around and all of that. And so there were a lot of other things that happened. There were revise and resubmits from editors at uh, Big Five Imprints, um, and working with that, and you know the realization that you know as much as querying was sort of frustrating. There's a lot of um, writers, I imagine, who will be listening to this podcast who have work that they're trying to get out there and people to pick up their stuff. As much as querying was frustrating sometimes or or exhilarating, um, having your book on sub with an agent was this entirely different experience because they're absorbing the rejections um, and they're doing the work of pushing pushing your work and your pitch out there. And so depending on the relationship you have with your agent and how much they communicate with you, like you can be kind of far removed from what's going on with your book at any given time and it is a whole new kind of crazy making. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, so in any case, that crazy-making period, you know, went through stuff, and then ultimately Renny Sears at Pyre uh, ended up um, really falling in love with the nine immediately. Um, you know, she didn't ask for any major revision. She just, she really wanted it, fought hard for it, um, and ended up signing it in a two-book deal. Um, it's meant to be gentlemen's agreement understanding that we have with Pyre, and so third book Hey, that's two book deal. That's a big. That's a well. That's a big deal. <laughs> that's that's crazy. And that's one thing I, I like to harp on. You know, when when people are asking me for advice, if, if they ever do, which you know they they could certainly aim higher. But uh, persistence is my biggest uh, piece of advice to people. And man, you you put this book through the ringer. And uh, you said that Pyre didn't really have that many. Uh, what, what was your editing process like with Pyre? Contract for the book um, was inked um, in uh, the summer of 2016, and uh, I was waiting in the summer to get my, my edit letter and getting increasingly anxious uh, because as a teacher, you know, I had the summer off. So I was really thinking to myself, the summer will be when I tackle the edits and it will do the awesomeness and everything will be great. And I was very worried about not having an edit letter until the fall and then how do I juggle, juggle work life with writer life. Well, in newsflash, Townsend, um, that's what almost all writers do. You know, there's very few writers who have reached a level of financial success and stability where they get to pack it in on a day job and its entirety and just they can organize their whole life around writing. So. That was something that uh, when the edit letter ended up coming in in um, November, that I you know was had to be ready to jump right into. Um, the good news for us, though, the reason why it took such a long time for the edit letter to come to me was that uh, Renny wasn't worried. Um, she really liked 98% of what she saw in the book, and, and really it was a very granular level of edit that she was looking for. She wanted to get into some character relationship things. She wanted to get into um, a couple of perspective things within chapters because it's a, the book is almost entirely in close third perspective, but it has uh, nine different perspective characters at different points. 
uh, which again, it seems like it's by design, but that's actually not related to the reason why the title is designed. Um, <laughs> so it just happens to be that there's nine different people who get to sort of drive at certain points. Um, but anyway, the uh, so I was really worried that I was going to be in trouble because it was taking a while. And January one of uh, this just this year that has been going on here was my delivery date. And I was really afraid. What am I going to do with two months to kind of? But she made my job easy um, because she made it pretty clear that she was happy with where things are. Um, that said, you know the two book deal thing you mentioned. It's a totally different world to go into the second book knowing it has a home. On the one hand, that gives me a certain feeling of confidence, right? And on the other hand, um, it's a totally different process because, like you said, through the ringer with the first book, at the time it found its proper home, it had been uh, revised and resubmitted through agents, uh, through publishers. Um, it had had small press offers that I ended up passing on. Um, and so it had seen a lot of potential homes and near misses and all that sort of stuff, which means that a lot of hands had been on it, a lot of edits had happened, and it was really at a, at a granular level worked over. Um, you know, the idea that now I have a calendar year to make something just as polished that lives up to the promise of the first book happen is a completely different writing scenario. Um, and there's this level of urgency surrounding it which has been really interesting and challenging for me to get used to, uh, but I think super important for, for my growth as well. Yeah, that that is a totally different animal when, when you know that... <laughs> This is coming out, and so these edits have to be spot on. I'm in the editing process right now, and uh, it, it's due uh, October 1st. I'm, I'm ho hopefully going to get it in way earlier than that. But it, And I don't know how you feel because as much editing and uh, sending it out as you've done, revise, resubmit, uh, I'm I'm getting I, I still enjoy the book, but there's periods of time where you're like, oh my goodness, I've read this thing 500 times. I mean, did you did it ever run into that where you're just like, I'm so ready to have this book be published and be done with it and move on to something else? Yeah, you know, it's, there's definitely those moments, right? Um, I had the great kind of surreal pleasure earlier this week. Uh, my my editor's editorial assistant, um, uh, Hannah Etu, who's marvelous and has helped keep me sane through some of my, my less sane moments, um, sent me the PDF of the final formatted book because it needs to go to recorded books because we have an audiobook contract for the series as well. Um, and so I, I opened up the PDF that is like, this is what the book is going to truly look like when it goes to the printers in a week or two. Um, and we're looking at it, and a, a friend of mine happened to be in my office with me at the time, and she was, oh my God, did this how did this make you feel? Can you not even believe it? Are you just totally in love? And I laughed and I said, I'm so done with this book. I'm so happy <laughs> for it to just flap its wings and move from the nest. But at the same time, um, you know, the proofreading stages, like going through galleys and things like that, uh, as much as that's, you know, really arduous and oftentimes fast-paced thing, like, you know, you're handed a, a document, you know, email, everything's electronic these days, on Thursday and told that by the following Wednesday, you know, you need to have turned around that 380 pages, you know, proofread, and that's your last opportunity to possibly change anything, and, and so go for it. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty tight time window to work around, but it's, it was also extremely valuable for me to go back and look at the book with that degree of care as I was writing a sequel, 
um, because with nine narrators and different perspective characters and things, and some of the things that are happening to complicate the world and the characters' experience in the second book, honestly, God, there were things I had forgotten. Um, but I looked back at the book and I went, oh, oh, I need to make a note of this because I'm messing something up in book two that I'm actually running against my purposes here. Um, which is, I mean, it's sort of a relief that the overlap of those two things, that I can do the one job better because I'm still kind of nursemaiding the other. Like, that's, that's a good takeaway. Right. Well, let me read the description here uh, for those out there. Uh, who are interested in reading your fantastic book. Uh, again, that's called The Nine. And this is what it's about. In the dark streets of Korma exists a book that writes itself, a book that some would kill for. Black market courier Rowena Downshire is just trying to pay her mother's freedom from debtor's prison when an urgent and unexpected delivery leads her face-to-face with a creature out of nightmares. Rowena escapes with her life, but the strange book she was ordered to deliver is stolen. The alchemist knows things few men have lived to tell about, and when Rowena shows up on his doorstep, frightened and empty-handed, he knows better than to turn her away. What he discovers leads him to ask for help from the last man he wants to see, the former mercenary Anselm Oh, I'm going to mess this up. Materan? I got it. Nice. Across town, Reverend Philip Chalmers awakes in his cell, bloodied and bruised, facing a creature twice his size. Translating the stolen book may be his only hope for survival. However, he soon realizes the book may be a fabled text written by the creator himself. Tracking the nine human subjects of his grand experiment in the wrong hands, it could mean the end of humanity. Rowena and her companions become the target of conspirators who seek to use the book for their own ends. But how can this unlikely team be sure who the enemy is when they can barely trust each other? And what will happen when the book reveals a secret no human was meant to know? It sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> what, what would you uh, classify this as far as genre? Is it uh, ba- your basic classic fantasy? Is it more of uh, steampunk? I think almost from the beginning. Um, in fact, one of my wonderful, generous, awesome uh, readers, uh, Chris Chen, who wrote uh, Kangaroo and uh, they played Kangaroo and Kangaroo Two, nominated for the, the Locus Award this year. Fantastic, and he's been so supportive. When he read the blurbing for me, he said, "What would you say that this is?" He said, "I, I want to call it a gaslight fantasy, but it's also sort of steampunk." And, and there's also like a dark urban fantasy thing going on. And my answer was yes, um, which doesn't exactly narrow things down. But um, I mean, for, huge, for me, I, I think it's probably it's been labeled as a dark fantasy. Uh, it's been labeled as steampunk. It's been labeled as gaslamp. I think all of those work. Um, and the thing about it that, that I like to think about most is the aesthetic of it, right? Um, they always, a piece of advice that goes around is like, write the book that you want to see in the world. It's like not out there on the show, the book that you want. And so um, I really wanted to do sort of what happens if, if you have his dark materials being told um, in, in, in a China, maybe an Abel sort of setting with, um, you know, with a sprinkling of Ocean's Eleven caper kind of thing going on. Um, and that was really what, what guided me. Cool. So you, you got a, you got the heist element. You got the magic. You've got the the nightmarish creatures. It, you got everything stuffed into one book. 
Well, it too coming out. The second one's going to be coming out uh, later. Yeah. So it's going. The first one, the nine's coming out this November, and hopefully the next one, next November. And so yes. you're you're currently in the process of writing that second one, yeah? Yes, yes I am. But, um, last time I was in the document, I just got off of a grading vendor, uh, much to my students' dismay. Um, and so it's been about two days since I was doing any drafting, but the last time I was in the document, it was about 115,000 words, and I'm probably about another 10 away from completion, and that's probably going to get edited down back to around the, the 100 to 115 range. So I always tend to go a little big and then and then tear out. That wow, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people. It's very easy to do that. Uh, for me, I I don't think I've ever written a book over ninety thousand words. <laughs> for what? That's just my length. You know, that's just something natural uh, to me. But I know, I mean, a lot of fantasy. You, you see, like uh, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, Brent Weeks. Those books are six hundred to a thousand pages. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at 200 odd thousand words. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really kind of, they're, they're doorstoppers. Um, but, you know, the funny thing is that everybody's writing for people with different kinds of appetites. Um, it's funny, I always thought of it as, as kind of a big book, and then when I had the chance to hold the arc in my hand, I thought to myself, like, you're not that big, you're 360 pages. Like, you're a wealthy <laughs> little fantasy book. Like, good job, kid. Um, yeah. So I think it's it's very deceptive, you know, to look at like the size of the margins and and the size of like the the spine of a book and to say like, ooh, that's a that's a big thing. So I read some things that were doorstoppers that just absolutely flew, um, and I read some things that were much briefer that I that just they didn't they didn't get up underneath me and carry me the same way, right? I'm sure you've had that experience too. Oh yeah. Well, what's something that you didn't know getting in when you finally, you know, got your agent, you, you've got the deal signed? What was the first thing that occurred to you where you're like, I didn't know that this was a part of being a traditional, traditionally published author? Um, the thing that surprised me most um, was what they call the author book questionnaire um, or ABQ. And uh, the ABQ is, uh, if you've you dealt with an ABQ before, Sean, have you been there? Yeah, I, I had to fill one out, yeah. Yeah, um, and it was a surprising experience for me because the, the purpose of an ABQ, for those who don't know the codes that we're speaking here, is it's supposed to help uh, your marketing team, your editorial team, basically the, the sort of the whole group of people at the publisher who surround your and can help it find its right place in the market and generate buzz about it and, and help it be the book that it needs to be. Um, it helps them understand, you know, it asks things about like where did the idea for this come from? It asks, it wants to see different copies of like your pitch letter. It wants to, um, you know, hear about if there are other books that you see as comparable to your own. Um, are there writers who have been really formative to you? Um, are there professional writers that you have connections to who, who might be, you know, helpful to you as bloggers or as people who can, you know, post you for guest blogs things? And so it's, it's the total package. It's everything from sort of conceptualizing, like where did this thing come from so we understand it a little bit more in the way you understand it, to the nuts and bolts of 
um, you know, do you know anybody in the media world that could help us generate books? And so it was a significant piece of homework. Um, I want to say that like the, with the spaces for answering the questions, it was like an eight or nine page document. By the time I was done filling it out, it was more than 20. Um, and so it, I, was, I was a couple weeks just working on that piece of it. Um, and so it was, it was really interesting to me to know that there's all of that sort of extra, totally unseen to the reader work that an author does to try to help the people who help them do their work do that work better. Right, because everybody wants the book to succeed. Uh, those in publicity, obviously the publisher itself, you. Uh, and that's one thing I'm very glad that I was doing and what I recommend other people do as well uh, is that while you're waiting to hear back from an agent or your editor is to cultivate relationships with other writers. Not not because, you know, one day I'm going to come calling and, and ask for a favor, but I have people that, you know, I ask questions to on Facebook Messenger or whatever, and that way I don't have to share it out, you know, in the public. And uh, people who've, who've been there before and, and have dealt with the types of things that you and I as debut authors are having to deal with that, you know, oh, for them it's old hat. And also developing uh, yeah, yeah. publicity, your, your own website. I mean, you, you have your own website. Because I teach creative writing and science fiction fantasy. I had a good excuse to um, have a website that was and to try and cultivate relationships with them and go to the National Awards even when I wasn't a member of Steph and and do things like that. And so I had this um, I was I was very much in the community, but in the community in a different way than a lot of writers are. Um, and then it was sort of like this delightful surprise when I would go back to these people who I had communicated with before to say, I would love it if I could get my students to Skype with you or I would love it if um, my students could contact you regarding this project, or I'm teaching the text and I just want you to know that my students love it or something. These people I'd had these kinds of connections to have this sort of surprised when they found out later, like, wait, you wrote a book? Like, you have a book that's coming out? That's so great. Is there something I can do? Um, and I think that that's one of the great comforting things. There's so much about the process of, of being creative and trying to get your work published and recognized that can be frustrating and requires patience and, and isn't always um, going to give a reward in a time frame that feels like you can sustain yourself, right? Um, right. That's why the are so important um, because not only because they've been there and they get it, but because they appreciate you for you and they get excited about every little triumph that you have along the way to and have an idea of how to pick you up when you stumble. Exactly. It, the, the writing community itself has been awesome, especially, I think, in the uh, science fiction and fantasy realm. The, the people here are just fantastic. True. It's really true. Um, I've I've come, like I said, feeling sort of like I've come out of nowhere and, um, you know, come into the literal spaces I've come into in conferences or come into the social spaces I've come into online and nobody sort of wants to check your credentials and nobody wants to know what were you and where did you come from. Just everyone's just sort of so happy that you're there. Um, it's like, hi, I would like to know more about you and like, you, you do a thing like this or What's the fun thing that you've read lately? And um, I, I have a theory, personally, that there's something about growing up geek on some level um, that 
yeah, it tends to be a thing when you're a science fiction fantasy person that makes it so that it's just when when you smell other geeks around, just like you want to claim them as your people. Like you want to you want to bring them around you. It brings out our inner Hufflepuff. Right, and then you don't feel alone. Oh, I've heard it's like to be the weird kid. Come, weird kid. You're just a bigger weird kid now. Um, right. Yeah, I, I have, uh, like I said, I've taught science fiction and fantasy for a while. Uh, so one of the nicknames that sometimes been used in the media from the school I teach is Hogwarts for Hackers. Um, and it's not a bad nickname either. Um, so it's, it's a science and technology focused school. But the kids are, are deeply SF. Like, they, they just, they grew up in that stuff. They marinated in it. And that makes me so fortunate to have kids in that mindset who flock to these classes that I get to teach because I have the best job. Um, and the, the cool thing about that is, is they come and they, they are, you know, between about 16 and 18. They've grown up in a, in a different generation than me because I'm really the same, not 16 or 18. Um, and they have all these different touch points. In, in what they love in science fiction and fantasy. And I have these, these different things. And you can kind of bring them together and have these really interesting conversations and trace the through lines of how the things that I grew up with may have had an influence on the things they have grown up with. And, um, and I can try to use some of the connections I've made to get them involved with people who are writing and publishing things like right now. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. And we have this, this opportunity through my work to be able to say to students, I don't care what you're into. Like, I don't care if you, if you love military SF or if you love sparkle vampires um, or you know if you are a devoted you know Dresden Files sort of person or if you are just Attack on Titan all day. Like whatever your thing is, I love that you have a thing, and I want to help you find a way to to explore that more, to use it, to turn it into um, something that that you can study and get credit for. That's awesome. I mean, you're, you're right there and developing the, the future of uh, spec fic readers and, and future writers, hopefully. Um, do, had you ever, during the writing or editing process of The Nine, did you ever go, oh, my students are going to read this? Oh, my God, all the time. Um, <laughs> I, I have had people ask me, um, and I think it's a little baffling for them because the cover features one of the central characters, Romina, who is 13, um, and she's quite obviously from her size, not adult, um, on the cover. And then, of course, the, the cover copy says she's 13. And so since she's sort of featured in the center of the story, I, I always get the question of whether or not this is a YA book. Um, and it is, it is very much not a YA book. Um, you know, there are, she is one of the only children um, featured in the book. And, and, you know, there's more characters, I think, who are struggling through um, various manifestations of, like, midlife crises and, and things than are going through the kind of buildings for mom experience of a YA thing. Um, you know, so I think, and, you know, there's other stuff. I mean, between the, you know, the, the, the fuckity bug here and there, um, both the, the literal and the actual, um, there are things that I... I would not tell my students they can't read or they shouldn't read or, or that I would be ashamed of them seeing come from me at all. But just, um, it's not a YA book. It's not written with that in mind. But I think any smart 16 and up could pick it up and, and hopefully, hopefully enjoy it. I hope it would not disappoint them. Oh, yeah, I think they will very much. Well, we are just about out of time, but 
Is are you attending any uh, cons coming up where people can uh, come out and see you, and hopefully after November get the nine signed? Uh, there's a really small local um, indie author uh, book day going on at my local library, um, which is Fountain Hill Library in Bolingbrook, Illinois. And I'm going to be a speaker there talking to people who are um, interested in publishing and getting published about revising their work. Because I've been through so many revising, revising recent scenarios. Um, so I'll be giving sort of some talks about revising your work for um, agents and editors and what the publishing pipeline feels like sort of once you're in it um, and getting closer to being in it. Um, I'm looking to, I'm hoping very much to be able to go to Confusion, which is in the Detroit area in January. That that always looks like a fun time. I know John Scalzi goes there almost yeah. every year. Yeah. Uh, I've wanted to go there myself. I went to ReaderCon and to uh, Nebula Awards this, this past late spring and summer. Um, and I was a tremendous fan of ReaderCon. So I was very fortunate they put me on a lot of programming there. Um, I was on, uh, I had a reading and three different panels that I was part of. Um, so I'd be honored to do ReaderCon again. And we're getting towards the season where they're going to be um, asking for people's information and stuff. So I'll be, I'll be angling that direction again. So. Uh, my website is tracytownsend.net uh, for anybody who wants to check it out, and I do keep it up to date with any things going on with me, appearances, so on. Um, the next big reveal stuff likely to come up will be blog tour things um, and uh, other sort of promo events. Awesome. And they can also follow you on Twitter at the Storymatic. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad I remembered that. Well, I always like to end our podcasts with the question to you, if there is any advice that you would like to share with others or at least something that you wished you knew going through. I hear people refer to themselves as aspiring writers a lot. And oh, yes. Oftentimes that label has more to do with have you been published or not or have you been traditionally published or not um, or whatever, right? It's not do you write. People use that to mean I don't feel legitimate because you find my work on a shelf somewhere. Um, I encourage every writer to do away with aspire, right? You know, yes. So being a writer is about the work, it's about the act, it's about doing the thing. It's such an important gift to yourself, technologically, because there's a lot that the process will take out of you, especially if you are seeking publication. You need to you need to honor yourself for what you have done, no matter what, what the world has had to say about it yet. Thank you for bringing that up because I was just going to do a Twitter soapbox stand on this very thing because I see it a lot. And it's, it just makes me cringe a little bit because I know, at least I'm assuming, that if uh, an agent or editor does see that on, on their Twitter profile or Facebook or whatever – I don't know. It, I understand why people might put that on there because they're saying I'm trying. I'm, you know, I'm an aspiring. But honestly, I think while there are uh, weaknesses to the whole fake it till you make it thing, and people can, you know, take that and go crazy with it, I think that's the perfect place to not make yourself look uh, desperate and also as green as you might think you are. I mean, don't, I mean, it's not something that you want to quibble with. Like, give yourself credit for what you've done. Did you write a thing? Congratulations, you are a writer. Um, right. And the only person who 
can take that away from you if you buy stopping rights. Um, so don't don't begin that process before you've even, you know, taken yourself seriously. Fantastic advice, Tracy. Everybody, the nine comes out November fourteenth. It's going to be available everywhere. It's from Pyre Books. And uh, Tracy's already told you where you can find her online. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Dragon. Be sure to go out and pre-order Tracy's book. And if you would like to be a guest on Cosmic Dragon and you are a debut author who writes science fiction, fantasy, horror, and the like, you can drop me a line at seangrigsby at gmail.com. You can reach me at www.seangrigsby.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Sean Grigsby. I keep it very simple. And I've got some exciting news that I'm just itching and burning and shaking and wanting to share with you guys. But at this time, on this date, I can't. Not yet. But watch this space. And until next time, don't let the dragons get you.